This episode of Case Acquaint contains material which is disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Case Acquaint. You have found episode 19. We have a quick update for you on the Mita Valentine case. We profiled Mita's disappearance in the third episode of our I-95 series. Mita was last seen on surveillance footage in the parking lot of her apartment complex. In the footage, someone pursues her, and once she leaves the frame, she's never seen again. Her mother spoke to her on the phone that night, and Mita was speaking cryptically. But unfortunately, her mother never got any answers as to what the issue was, because she never spoke to her daughter again. Fayetteville, North Carolina police had zeroed in on her ex-boyfriend, Reginald McDowell, who had actually kidnapped Mita in the past, but apparently there wasn't enough evidence to charge him with anything, so he took off and her case went cold. Well, this is what we love about the Fayetteville Police Department. They're not scared to prosecute without a body, because they're operating on common sense. We also talked about the kidnapping of Heather Carter in that episode, and Heather's kidnapper and killer is locked up in prison, and that key's been effectively thrown away, even though Heather's body has not been found. Last month, Fayetteville Police Department and the Cumberland County District Attorney's Office decided to go ahead and charge old Reginald McDonald with Mita's kidnapping and murder, even though he is still on the run, and even though they haven't found Mita's body. We hope he's caught and brought to justice soon, and we ask that you keep Mita's loved ones and Heather Carter's loved ones in your thoughts. We hope their remains are found and properly laid to rest. That's all for the updates. Now, on with the program. This is the story of the murder of Wendy Madden. This story takes place in Rhode Island. It begins near the eastern border of Central Falls, and it ends at the western border of a city called Pawtucket. The two cities are divided by the Blackstone River. Pawtucket is home to about 70,000 people, a number that's remained fairly constant for the last several decades. It's situated conveniently close to Providence, Rhode Island, and fairly close to New Bedford, Massachusetts. This city also hosts the Hasbro Toy Company's headquarters, Another notable characteristic of Pawtucket, which we find of particular interest here on this podcast, of course, is that I-95 makes an appearance in Pawtucket. It runs right up through the western end of it. Wendy, our subject for this week, had only recently moved to the Central Falls, Pawtucket area from a town called Woonsocket, about 30 minutes up the road, and she'd reportedly grown up moving around a lot and had sort of a rough childhood. Wendy lived with her mom, who was divorced from her dad, and she was the youngest of three siblings. She had a boyfriend and a job. But her life wasn't easy, just like any 23-year-old in her position trying to figure out what direction to take. Wendy was hanging out with an older crowd of people, and many times these more experienced friends can create pressure on a young person to try new things they may not have tried if their influencers were their own age. We tend to become comfortable with that to which we've been repeatedly exposed. On the night of March 11, 1991, Wendy, who had just turned 23 the week prior, told her mom she was going to walk to the store to buy a pack of cigarettes. It was late, about 11 p.m., 
and it was a frigid night, hovering at freezing temperatures or less. With the waning moon and poor lighting, you may not have seen Wendy as she walked down the street, shivering under a short black leather jacket, blue jeans, and a pair of leather boots. Maybe only if she was walking beneath a rare streetlight. But there she was, headed to a place called the Store 24, which would have been about a two-minute walk east of her home and then a slight turn south to reach the store. Wendy was observed at about 11.15 p.m. near her home. She was at the corner of Railroad Street and Cross Street. We don't know if this sighting happened while she was on her way to or from the store because there isn't anything telling us the direction in which she was headed. But this location is about halfway between the store 24 and home. After the 11.15 p.m. sighting, Wendy disappeared. At first, Wendy's mom and boyfriend didn't worry too much. She was known to visit with friends regularly at their homes, and they assumed that Wendy might have met up with a friend or gone over to their house for a while, maybe crashed there when it got too late to walk home. In the morning, when her mom and boyfriend woke up, Wendy hadn't returned. It's unclear what happened on the day of March 12th. Perhaps they were still thinking Wendy might be still hanging out with friends. Don't forget, this is before everybody had a cell phone, so it wasn't as easy to track someone down at that time. Usually, if you're wondering where someone was, you had to go get to a phone and start calling places. Hopefully, you had the phone number in a little book or something. Or you'd have to go to the places you thought they would be and ask if they'd seen that person. If you didn't have a car or a telephone at home, you'd have to get a little more creative. They looked for Wendy as best they could, but mostly they just hoped she would show up. They passed a tense evening, and then as Wendy's boyfriend was setting out to walk to the store 24 in order to call the police and report Wendy missing, there was a flurry of activity just a few short blocks away and across the Blackstone River in West Pawtucket. A woman had notified police that as she had carried out her garbage, she had found a dead body. The body belonged to Wendy Madden. Wendy's been described by those who knew her as extremely sweet, great with kids, and fun to be around. How did Wendy end up on the other side of the river in the opposite direction of the store she was planning on visiting? Did Wendy have a brand new pack of cigarettes with her when she was found? Wendy was found behind a small bar by the name of Jan's Place. She wasn't a Jan's Place regular, but she had been there before. Did Wendy visit Jan's place for a quick drink with someone she may have seen at the store or on her way home? If she had stopped there for a quick drink, wouldn't someone have remembered her and remembered who she may have been talking to? Did someone offer Wendy a ride? So this area where her body was found would have served as parking for Jan's place on that cold Monday night. Certainly, whoever left Wendy's body there must have felt comfortable in doing so, or perhaps they were also on foot. Well, I guess we can speculate all we want, but here's what we know about the scene of Wendy's body's discovery. We've created a little map for you to check out if you're interested in seeing where all these places are. It'll be on our website, caseacquaint.com. Now, the back of that property abutted another property, which had a lot of debris 
and what looks like some junked cars being stored. It had a fair amount of trees and brush as well. There wasn't much reason for anybody to be spending any time back there unless they were taking out the garbage or parking their car to visit Jan's place. It wasn't well lit, according to reports, and there probably weren't any businesses open at night in that vicinity besides Jan's place, because Jan's place was actually a small building with some dirt parking area attached, and it was nestled in between two private residences on a one-way street, which didn't offer a whole lot of parking. Authorities determined that Wendy had been strangled. Forensic evidence from the scene was collected and eventually, after some years, that evidence was sent to the lab for DNA testing. Beyond that, there are no more available details from police because, and you might be surprised to hear this, Wendy's murder is an active investigation even though it's been over 25 years since her murder. In fact, that's one of the details about this story which makes this otherwise cold case unique. Wendy has a determined investigator on her side, and this investigator may be close to being able to bring charges against Wendy's killer. It wasn't always like that. When Detective Sue Cormier of the Pawtucket Police Department first started working Wendy's case back in around 2013, it was kind of a mess. There was evidence that hadn't yet been tested, people who needed to be interviewed, and most importantly, appeals made to the community. To that end, Detective Cormier, who is now the Cold Case Unit Coordinator, decided to start a Facebook page dedicated to Wendy. Now, we've noticed that families and supporters of victims or the missing will many times start social media advocacy accounts, and they can be invaluable tools in successfully closing these cases. But we've never heard about one overseen by the investigating agency until now. The wonderful thing about having the Facebook page is that the tips, the suggestions, and the questions go directly to Detective Cormier. This saves the family from more secondary re-victimization. She's made it clear that she can guarantee anonymity for those with information. Also, this page makes her, as a detective assigned to the case, accessible to the community. I can't tell you how many times we've tried to contact the detective assigned to a case, only to be ignored. We understand that the detectives aren't required to respond, and they aren't doing anything overtly wrong by ignoring inquiries. It can make them seem lazy, unmotivated, or worse, but that's pretty much the extent of it, and most of the time they don't care what they seem like. This case, however, is different. If you visit the Facebook page, which we'll link on our website in the show notes, you can see how responsive Detective Cormier has been even to the comments and questions on her posts. It's not only fostered community engagement and trust, but as it turns out, it's been a great help in gathering evidence against the killer, who will hopefully soon be brought to justice. Over the years, Wendy's case has garnered a fair amount of local media attention. There was some interest from a national TV show at one time, but other than that, it's been up to Detective Cormier to keep Wendy's story fresh in the community's mind. And she's done a great job. What do you think might have happened if the people investigating, say, Robin Abrams' murder, or even the people responsible for solving the murder of little Peyton Fields over in Pender County, North Carolina? What if any of those investigators were visibly working a case appealing to the community for help 
and honestly providing all the information they could in order for the community to do so, I bet things would be much different. So we think many investigating agencies could learn from the modeling that's being done here. And we love to bring you stories of how investigators are utilizing all the tools available to them in order to get their cases resolved. So we said Wendy's case has gotten some attention from the media. And while there isn't a ton of stuff out there, we did find lots of reporting that could not be successfully verified as fact. We're going to address some of these reports really quick and some of the possibilities that have been brought up. It just so happened that at the time, there was at least one active serial killer preying on prostitutes and drug addicts in that region, and it's been alleged by some that maybe there's a connection, and maybe Wendy was one of those victims. This was the New Bedford Killer, which that wasn't the only name they had for this person, but we're going to call him that. He would kill and dump the bodies of female prostitutes and drug addicts he would pick up in and around New Bedford, Massachusetts. The bodies turned up all over the general area outside of New Bedford, some off of I-95 and some off Route 140. This killer was never officially caught and brought to justice, but they had several suspects. One of them was Anthony DeGrazia, who was charged with raping and or assaulting 17 prostitutes, but also suspected of the killings. He had a history of abusing prostitutes, and witnesses had come forward to implicate him, saying not only that he admitted to killing the women, but also that he liked to strangle them. Some fool judge let him out on bail, and in late July of 1991, before he could be tried, he committed suicide. There was another suspect for those outstanding murders, and his name was Kenneth Pont. He was an attorney with ties to some of the murdered prostitutes, and it was reported that he enjoyed watching porn in which women were strangled, Plus, his other connection was his cocaine habit. Now, many, many people had also acquired cocaine habits back then, but apparently he used cocaine with a lot of these prostitutes. But Pont had been cleared of the highway murders by the time Wendy was murdered. There's one more guy, his name was Neil Anderson, and he was also a suspect in the killings. He was convicted of rape in 1994, and he was suspected of more rapes of prostitutes. But they couldn't successfully pin any murders on him. He was eventually released from prison to continue his criminal career before getting caught robbing some banks. Now, to be clear, even though there are some serial killings going on in the region at the time, police nowadays do not believe Wendy was one of the New Bedford murder victims. Wendy wasn't dumped along the highway, although it was very close to I-95. Also, she wasn't picked up in New Bedford. There's another pair of murders of women in Woonsocket. Wendy didn't live in Woonsocket, but she had lived there. Those murders were of 32-year-old Diane Goulet and 18-year-old Christine Miller. They were both victims of strangling, and these murders happened around the same general time that Wendy's murder happened. And we could only find case information on Diane, whose murder was committed by two men, and one of those men, Mark Dumas, actually went to the police station to confess on his own, and he implicated the other guy, Mike Jellison. That was only for Diane's murder, not for Christine's, and not for Wendy's. So it doesn't seem like these murders are linked to each other or to Wendy. Could Wendy's murder have been a random attack? Well, Pawtucket isn't a huge city, 
but it is right off 95, and that entire area is densely populated. It could have been a random attack, but to entertain that possibility, we need more information, so right now it's going to have to be a lingering question. There's also been speculation as to what Wendy herself was doing that night. Was she only going to get some cigarettes? Wendy was a vibrant and beautiful 23-year-old who nobody can deny was not born with a silver spoon. She also had been hanging out with a bunch of older people. And as we all know, our older friends can become influencers of our behavior. Was Wendy being influenced in some way by these older friends? Were they involved in things Wendy was not prepared to successfully navigate herself through? There have been reports which you can easily find online that Wendy had started to engage in prostitution in order to support a drug habit. That's what's been claimed. Was there someone involving Wendy in that type of activity or was she just trying this all out by herself? When I was 23 years old, if I would have decided to become a prostitute, I think I would have needed someone to help me with that. I don't think I'd know how to do it by myself. The police have said there is no record of Wendy ever being charged with possession, nor was she ever picked up for prostitution. So if she had been doing that, this speculation would have had to come from someone who knew her because police didn't know Wendy to be a drug addict or prostitute. Now, her autopsy wasn't released to the public, so we don't know whether or not she had any drugs in her system. But the police do know, and they're not talking about it. If Wendy was struggling with addiction, and if she had been engaging in prostitution, she would absolutely have been a vulnerable target for pimps, drug dealers, other prostitutes, and of course the type of serial offender that would victimize one of the most vulnerable members of the community, the drug-addicted prostitute. We've talked about this before on this program, so you all know how I feel about it. We have a duty as a community to refuse to let our most vulnerable members be continuously preyed upon. The only way to do that is to relentlessly pursue these dirtbags who victimize these people. In Lumberton, our recent victims who were found in various stages of decomp in one small area of that small town, they had loved ones who cared about them. They had children. They struggled, but nobody had a right to take their chance of getting their life back on track away from them. Nobody had a right to take those women away from their loved ones. These people miss their daughters, their sisters, their friends, their mothers. So that could require more investigating and questioning of known offenders of this type, and also known Johns, of course. We can't say for sure that Wendy was just getting cigarettes, nor can we say that she was doing anything else. In the scope of things, the only reason that would matter is that it's a way to help identify the killer. Because Wendy's life had importance to her friends and her family and herself. Wendy had a future which was hers to create in her own way. It was her right to learn what she needed to learn in order to grow as a young adult and as a human being. It was not someone else's right to take that away from her, no matter what she may or may not have been doing that night. Either way, that person needs to pay. Police say they already have a person of interest who they're not ready to name yet but it's likely that Wendy knew her killer. Until this person is finally brought to justice, we're left with many questions. Who would want to hurt Wendy? 
There's no information that Wendy had any enemies. In fact, everything we've heard about her as a person has been quite complimentary. How long had Wendy been dead by the time her body was found? Had she been assaulted in other ways besides being strangled? The police aren't releasing any of this information at this time. But if there's a guy walking around the Pawtucket area with a propensity for violence towards women, especially a guy who has no problem wrapping his hands around someone's neck, that would be the first tree I'd bark up. Police are asking that you share Wendy's story and her picture and ask your friends and family if they've heard of her case. Wouldn't it be great if we could make sure this killer is brought to justice? How many more people have been preyed upon by this person over the last couple of decades? Why should this person be able to walk around free, among others who wouldn't dream of hurting other human beings in this way? This episode will be posted on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, our website, YouTube, you can share Wendy's story through any of those mediums. Also, if you visit our website, you'll see a map and more pictures relevant to this case. If you'd like to engage by visiting Detective Cormier's Facebook page dedicated to Wendy, it's simply facebook.com wendy.madden372. As I said before, we're going to include a link in the show notes. Since Wendy's tragic murder... Both of her parents have died, and the rest of her family has had to go on without her. Losing a loved one to violence, especially if the killer's not been brought to justice, can be devastating to a family. We wish them peace, and we extend our hope that Wendy's killer is charged, convicted, and punished very soon. If you or someone you know has any information or can provide any assistance to the Pawtucket Police Department, don't hesitate to contact them at 401-727-9100, extension 756. Don't forget, you can remain anonymous. We're going to be sure to update you as soon as her killer decides to make it easy on himself and fess up, or when he's brought in. Finally, we'd like to thank Detective Cormier and our cold case unit at the Pawtucket Police Department for using all of the techniques at their disposal for finding this killer and for generously communicating with us about Wendy's case. This brings us to the conclusion of our story about Wendy Madden. Thank you for listening. We'll talk again soon.